I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. And as you do, I want to ask a question is, what do you want to do for God? What do you want to do for God? It's a very different question than we often ask of what can God do for me? That's often what we ask. We tend to have the question on our hearts when we read the scripture. What can God do for me? We tend more often than not to have the question on our hearts when we pray. What can God do for me? And even sometimes the question on our hearts as we gather as a church is what can God do for me? But I want us to ask a very different question is what do you want to do for God? Now with that question should come the reminder that God needs nothing from us. He does not need anything from us. God is not just sitting back waiting and looking for someone who has that gift or that talent or ability or else his hands are tied until we show up. God is not just sitting back waiting for your help and incapable. God lacks nothing. But yet, by his grace and in his purpose, he uses the gifts that he's given us and our generosity, our talents and our times. He uses them in the lives of other people to accomplish his great purposes. And so then the question we must ask is not what can God do for me, but what can I do for God? Well, what has he put on your heart? What passions has he given you? What ambition do you have? What heart of what people are you a burden for? That's the question that we must ask ourselves if we're going to ask and answer as the Apostle Paul did this morning, like in our text. I want us to see what he wants to do for God. More than that, not just what he wants to do for God, but what he feels compelled to do for God. We will see that Paul has an all-consuming ambition that God has given him. It is so overwhelming that Paul, he misses out on good and lovely things that he desires to do. He misses out on them because of this all-consuming desire, this ambition, this passion, this calling. Look in your Bibles at Romans 15. I'm going to read a section around it, and we'll focus on verses 20 through 22, but we'll start at verse 15 through 25. This is God's word. He says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud for my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have often been hindered from coming to you. 
But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have, no lo- I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Look here at verse 18 uh, again, which kind of gives us this immediate context of Paul's ambition found in verse 20, where we'll focus. 18, he says, and we recounted this a few weeks ago, I will venture to speak of nothing when I talk, when I tell you a story, when I, when I want to um, talk with you, I want to share time with you. I don't want to tell you about me and my life and my story and my abilities. I want to do nothing but share what Christ has accomplished. Yes, it's through me. And yes, it's through my work and my uh, efforts and my going and my obedience, but it is Christ having accomplished it. So he says, I'm going to speak of that. And it, here he says, it brought the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Like they, they believed the gospel. They heard the gospel. They believed the gospel. Now they are following after God. He says, and I'm, I'm proud to say that that has happened for them. He goes on, it happened by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that all the way around, Paul says, in that place, and in that place, and in that place, I have fulfilled my ministry. I have done what I was supposed to do. Does that mean I converted every person? No. Does it mean that uh, I made everyone perfectly understand all there is to know about God? No. Does it mean I told them who Christ was and that they needed him? Yes. So Paul says, I fulfilled my ministry. I, I did it. Check. That place and that place and that place. And I wondered a few weeks ago, you know, if we have fulfilled our ministry, if God has put people in our lives, neighbors, co-workers, have we fulfilled our ministry? Have we told them about the love of the Lord and how it's changed us and how we would love for them to understand the forgiveness and grace of our God? Have we fulfilled our ministry? But it carries on here. Verse 20, this transition, he says, and thus, because of all that Christ has accomplished and all that how he does it, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Because Christ is doing all these things, because the power of Christ, because I have a mission, a ministry, a people, a place I need to go and they need to hear. He says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. So there he gives you his mission statement. Preach the gospel, but not where Christ has been named. He's going to the unreached peoples of the world. He says, firstly, I make it my ambition. He takes on the calling of God that God has given to him, bestowed on his heart the passion that God has given him, and he makes it. He makes it his own. He says, God has called me to these people, to that place, to this ministry, to this service. God has gifted me with these abilities, so I'm going to make it. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to use my time and my finances and my abilities to fulfill this ministry. I make it my ambition. I put my sacrifice, my effort, my intention. I I do it. I make it my ambition or, or my aim or the thing I strive after. 
It's his mission statement. And I wonder if you can identify, I have two mission statements here. Every company, Paul has a mission statement, but every corporation and companies have mission statements to try to get at the heart of why they do what they do. A mission statement is why they do what they do or, or what they want to accomplish at the heart. And then a vision statement is how that gets fleshed out, you know. And so I want to read two for you, and I, I bet you will not be able to identify the company. The first one says this. This is the company's mission statement. To make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. To make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. Could you guess the company? It's McDonald's. McDonald's says they aim, this is why we exist, to make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. And then their vision statement is through providing good care and good service and whatever else. But they want to make feel-good moments. That's their mission. Uh, So that's why they poison us with the garbage we eat there. And it works. I get feel-good moments at McDonald's. Uh, So they're fulfilling their missions. Second one is this. Helping people around the world save money and live better. Helping people around the world save money and live better. It's Walmart. Save money, live better. Sometimes if you pay attention to Walmart, you will see signs that say live better. I don't know what their version of better, right? How do they think they're going to make you live better? But that's their mission. They want to make you live better cheaply. Uh, which is fine. And you could say that, you know what, they're probably fulfilling their mission statement. That's, that's great. I wonder what your mission statement is, because Paul's mission statement's found here in verse 20. I make it my ambition, my mission, I exist to, I, Paul, exist to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named. I exist to preach the gospel to those who have never, ever heard of Jesus. That's why I exist, is what Paul says. Why do you exist? What's your mission? What has God put on your heart? What is the passions and the talents he has given you so that you could weave into your mission? What do you want to do for God is the question. What do you want to do for God? God has gifted you with different abilities than the person beside you. He's given you different passions, different burdens on your heart. So what are those that forms a life mission? Paul's is. His ambition, his mission is to preach the gospel but not where Christ has been named. It's not just a tagline for Paul, though. Like Walmart might just have a nice tagline. Tim Hortons might have a nice tagline. But Paul's is all-consuming. It's his driving force. It compelled him. This was his calling from God, and he knew it. And it gave him the passion to see it through. He saw it through. No matter how difficult it became, he said, this is what God has called me to do, and this is what is burdened on my heart. I need to go. His ambition, his mission was directly given to him by Jesus. We can see it in Acts 26 and 18. Jesus, recalling the story, Jesus says to him, I am sending you to the nations or to the Gentiles to open their eyes that they may uh, turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. Jesus, speaking to Paul, tells him what his mission is. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. I'm sending you to the unreached. I'm sending you to those people who have never heard the name of Christ. I'm sending you. So Paul got his mission directly from the words of Jesus. 
So then look at how he recounts the reason for his mission here in Romans. He doesn't mention the personal interaction with Jesus. He doesn't say, God told me so. Or I just feel like God's saying I should do. He doesn't even recount to the very words of God in the flesh, Jesus. He doesn't. He points back to the Old Testament. To a quote from Isaiah 52, 15, you'll see here in verse 21 of our chapter. He says, as it is written. So he says, this is why. This is why this is my ambition. As it is written, those who have never been told of him, they will see. Those who have never heard will understand. So he sees a promise of God that those who have never heard and never seen, never had an opportunity to understand, he sees that God says, God promises they will see and they will hear. So he confirms the calling from the scriptures, from what God has already said. And not just specifically to him, maybe he was having a a weird dream, but he confirms it in, in God's confirmed word. John Piper says this when saying this, he says, what do you make of that? When Jesus called Paul on the Damascus road to take the gospel to the Gentiles who had never heard, instead, Paul went to the Old Testament and looked for a confirmation and an explanation of this calling to see if it fit into God's overall plan. And he found it. And for our sake, he speaks this way. He doesn't just refer to his Damascus road experience with Jesus, which we will never have. He refers to God's written word that we do have. And he roots his ambition there. In God's heart that has always been and always will be. He doesn't just root it in an experience that he had that we will never have. He roots it in the foundation of the heart of God found in the Old Testament and weaved through every page of scripture. So if you're thinking about an ambition you have, the thing that you want to do for God, where is it rooted? Is it truly and a thoroughly biblically, biblical idea? Can you find the principle behind your passion? Can you find that principle weaved into the redemptive historical story? And so we must know what God wants us to do and not just a, an event or not just a single person, but why? Where's the heart of God behind it? Because, you know, we can make up a many things. We can get excited about a lot of things and we can do a lot of things, but if it's to have eternal good, it must be from the heart of God. And even all that we could do on the outside and all that we could serve people with and all that we could tell people, if it is not from Christ and through what Christ has done, as Paul here is boasting about, right, in this chapter, if it's not what Christ is accomplishing through us, it's useless. It's it's like chaff that's going to blow away. It's like vapor that's gone, just like our lives. So is it in God's overall plan? Is it ingrained in his heart? But here we see that has become ingrained in Paul's heart. I wonder if your passion is the same, if your burden is the same, so ingrained in your heart as it was for Paul. It was so ingrained in him that it changed everything about Paul. You know that if you know the account of when Paul came to faith in the Lord Jesus, he was on a mission already. He had a mission statement eliminate the ones who follow the way. Eliminate those who follow Jesus. That was his mission, and he was doing it. But his mission got changed by Christ himself. It was changed dramatically, and and it changed not just Paul's, what he did, but who he was, 
and why he did what he did. You know, it's only our desires that change what we do. You'll never do something you do not desire. But Paul's desires change. God gives us new desires, a new heart when uh, he saves us. We're so thankful for that because uh, we are so warped in our desires prior to God at work in us. So God, we see, dramatically transforms Paul's desires. Now, Paul's desire was once that they would be eliminated, but now it's that they might be saved. It changed him dramatically, but this specific calling to the unreached changed everything about his life, where he would spend his next moments, even to the point of putting aside things he wanted to do. Things that were good, things that would have been lovely and helpful, This ambition, this striving after that God gave him was truly all-consuming. That's what he says here in verse 22. He says, this is the reason why I've been hindered from coming to you. You, church in Rome, you place of encouragement, you have already heard of Jesus. And my ambition, as much as I would love to be there with you, he says it at the beginning of the book, and when he introduces his letter, he says in chapter 1, verse 11, he says, I long to see you. And then in verse 13, he says, I have often intended to come to you, but I've been prevented. Verse 23, he says, I have longed for many years to come for you. And this is where Paul says, I want to come to you. And in chapter one, he says, for mutual encouragement. It's a good thing. It would be good for me. It would be good for you. It would be encouraging and good and godly and God glorifying. I have longed to come to you and enjoy this but yet I've been prevented. This ambition of mine, this passion of mine, what God has put on my heart has prevented me from the very things I would enjoy, prevented me from the very uh, enjoyment of your fellowship in Rome. That's how all-consuming his passion was. That's how all-consuming this ambition was that God put on his heart, this goal that God gave him to reach the lost. And not just the lost, but those who had never, ever heard. He's going to do it through a specific way. He says in verse 20, I make it my aim to preach the gospel. To preach. We know that preaching takes words. Romans 10 tells us that. How will they ever believe in the one that they've never heard? Like, sure, you can show them all you want, but if they don't hear, how will they ever call upon him? So Paul says, I need to preach. I need to tell them about who they are and how they've offended the Holy God and how Christ has come on their behalf as a savior, as a friend, as one who forgive them and welcome them and transform them. Paul says, I want to preach the gospel. I want to preach the gospel. That's the good news. Not just that you're going to feel better if you do this thing. He's not just going to places where, you know, maybe they're struggling with water you know, having clean water. And so he's going to go fix their water situation and and tell them that, you know, God wants them to just have clean water. He's going to tell them the, the, the deeper issues there, the hard issues. The gospel's not just about, and it's not about the, the externals, all those things we may use to be able to preach the gospel, like putting a well in a community or uh, building a, a school and, and supplying teachers. All those things are are good, but they are not preaching the gospel, and they may be absolutely absent of true gospel ministry. Paul says, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to tell them the good news that they have never heard, that there is a Savior who might save them. 
And I wonder what ambition you have and, and that you maybe are not even pursuing and it's not consuming you to a point where you're serving God with it. What do you want to do for God? And, and it may be something very practical, but at the heart of it, you must ask like, is this, is this an avenue that I'm using to be able to preach the gospel, to be able to tell people how Christ has transformed me and how he can transform them by faith alone? We need to realize the passions God gives us are good and we, we must serve. He has given us good works to do beforehand. But all of them are avenues that we are to use to do what Paul says here, to preach the gospel. His specific area was to the unreached, to those who had never ever heard. And we know this is his longing desire was not just to them, but also to his, his brothers, those in his family and the, uh, the, the Israelite family, those who didn't believe. He says it in Romans 10, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And in, in chapter nine, he says, I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's saying, I would rather go to hell and not have my fellow Israelites know of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But then beyond them, Paul says, my ambition took me far beyond my brothers. My ambition, the mission from Christ himself took me to the nations, the far off places where they'd never even heard that there was a Messiah and a Savior coming. They never even heard that they had offended God who made them. I need to go, and I need to tell them. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for missionaries who go to unreached peoples, who are willing to give up the comforts of Canada and go a long way from home and family, learn languages, build huts, live in dangerous places, so that those who had never heard Jesus. Those where Christ has not been named, they may name him. It might take them five years to learn the language to be able to communicate Jesus, but they're going. I'm so thankful for those who do that. It doesn't mean you need to get on a plane tomorrow and go to Papua New Guinea, but we can support those who do. But at the same time, God has given you a passion and ambition. What is it you want to do for God? What do you want to do for God? What passion is in your heart? Is there a a certain fire in your heart for a, a person or a people group or a destination or a demographic? Is it an area of the world that you're passionate about or that burdens you or that saddens you? Is it a language group? Is it an age category? What is it that is on your heart that burdens you, that, that if you dwell on it, it, it upsets you? To think that, I can't believe they've never heard of Christ or they don't have Christ or they don't have the opportunity of Christ. I wish more so that they could feel what it means to be forgiven and free in Christ. What's your waking thought? And so sometimes that's, it's always revealing what our waking thought is, what we think about when we're just in default mode. Because it's most often not um, good and godly things. It's not like, oh, a people group that I'm just burning to preach to. It's normally like the cares of this world, right? Your waking thoughts normally like, oh, I got bills to pay or I got this to do today. What is your waking thought? And, and yes, evaluate and say, has that become my passion? That thing that I'm consumed by all day long, it kind of controls my thoughts. It controls my money. It controls my relationships. What is controlling you? Because think about Paul here. He says his ambition controlled him. 
It prevented him from going to the Romans where he wanted to go. It prevented him. It controlled him. So then what controls you? What controls me? Our thoughts, our time, our money. What controls us? What burdens us? And then if it's not something that you can use as an avenue to be able to preach the gospel to a people, then ask God, what, what should I care about? And confirm it in the scripture. You know, there's uh, many, many passages of scripture that will help you as you read along and go, yes, it strikes me and sticks out to me. Uh, there was a, a number of summers in a row where I did ministry to homeless people in London and Toronto, Montreal. And um, I, I felt that that was a good and right thing to do. But as I was reading uh, through the Old Testament one day, I came across a verse in Ezekiel. It was just out of the blue. and It was strange. And it talked about the sin of Sodom. And the sin of Sodom was that they didn't care for the poor and the needy. And I thought, what? I did not think that was the sin of Sodom. But it was that day, that time, that I needed a confirmation that I ought to go. And so I did. And I went with that ambition that God says he cares for the poor and the needy. And that's evidence throughout the entire scripture. But I had to beg God to give me that desire and that passion to, to confirm it so that he might be glorified through what I would do for him. So what passions do you have? What desires do you have? What is God giving you in your heart? Do you see injustice in the world? What burdens you? You can have a whole host of things you're passionate about. But the main thing that Paul was passionate about in and through was the fame of God's name. He wanted Christ's name to be shared and spread because he knows that that's the greatest need anyone ever has. You might be passionate about the poor or the widows or those in a foreign land, but their greatest need is the name of Christ. So what burdens you? Is it widows where you want Christ to be named among them? Is it the four million Hazar people group in Afghanistan who've never ever heard of Christ? They've never met a Christian and they won't. Four million of them in Afghanistan. There's, there is approximately three billion people in this world still who've never even met a Christian. They've never even met someone who could tell them about Jesus or show them Jesus. Three billion people. That's crazy. Is it sick people in the hospitals or nursing homes that, that burdens your heart? Is it children in the community from broken homes or happy homes? Is it children who burden your heart? With the burdens and the passions that God has given you, how can you be sure that you're going to serve him with it? Make it your ambition. Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. Make that your ambition. Ask God to stir it up in you, to give you a people, a person, a place. What's the passion that he's given on your heart already? What's the gifts that he's given you? And ask him to make it your ambition to go and to control you even, to consume you even, so that you might share his name among those where you're supposed to go. When God gives you a passion and ambition, make it measurable. Make it measurable. I'm going, so Paul, for example, he names places. He says, all, all the way from Jerusalem around to Illyricum. So he has a map in mind and he, he can name it. He can measure it. I've gone and I've done and I've fulfilled my ministry. So when God gives you a passion, do you know when you can check the box and say, I have gone to that person, check. I've prayed for that person, check. And not that you want a life of checklists, but sometimes if we don't have goals and we don't have aims, we don't have something to strive for, we don't do anything. 
So make your goal measurable. If God gives you a passion and where you want to go and how you want to serve him, what do you want to do for God? Make it measurable and ask someone to hold you accountable, to pray with you, to pray for you as you make it your aim to do what God is calling you to do in this area or with that people. What do you want to do for God? Preach the gospel through it all, through whatever passion, whatever desire, whatever gift, whatever ability, what you want to do for God, do it for him. Let's pray. Well, Father, you are an amazing God who loves. You loves us though we don't deserve it. You care for us when we are so needy. And so we pray for our hearts and the passions and the desires you have given us. And we pray that you would uh, redeem them and, and um, really show us passions and burdens that uh, can be a way in which we can serve you. Help us to do that, God. Help us to be intentional, to not just uh, go away from this time, go away from this text and think nothing of it, but instead to wonder what we want to do for you through all that you've given us for your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.